60 KXNO. Ken Miller, Trent Condon. They are Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, good morning, everybody, and welcome in. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, uh, as we uh, talk the world of sports with you for the next couple of hours. Thanks for spending some of your morning uh, with us here today. Sad morning, uh, as we will take a look back at the uh, the profound legacy that Hayden Fry uh, left behind him uh, as he passes away yesterday. On the BMW of Des Moines guest list, we're going to talk to one of his former quarterbacks, Chuck Hartlieb, coming up here in just a matter of moments. Uh, we'll get the uh, former Hawkeye signal caller in here. Of course, 87 and 88 uh, was the Hartlieb era as far as starts. He was there from 84, 85, and wait, but he waited his turn until he finally got that opportunity. Chuck Hartley coming up here uh, in a matter of minutes. Uh, we will get David Kaplan in here. It's Wednesday. We're going to speak with Cappy uh, from Chicago, sponsored by Centurion Stone of Iowa. Centurion Stone of Iowa making it impossible for us to speak with Cappy. We'll do some Cubs. We'll do some cards, uh, some cards, uh, some bears, uh, but we'll also uh, get to an opportunity to have Cappy opine and uh, uh, if he ever crossed paths with Hayden. And Fry, of course, Cappy was in the college basketball uh, world, uh, but um, we'll hear from Cappy coming up at ten forty-five, eleven fifteen. Bill Bender from the Sporting News, and then eleven thirty. Looking forward to this. Uh, it's been a long time since I've uh, had an opportunity to spark, speak with Mark Hansen. Longtime columnist from the Des Moines Register, whose career essentially mirrors uh, Fry's tenure at Iowa. Mark started uh, at the Register in 1981. He's a seven-time uh, Iowa Sports Writer of the Year, and um, you know, their, their their careers are essentially tied together. So we'll talk to Mark Hansen, get his memories at 1130, looking forward to that. I know you have some memories, Trent. I saw mm-hmm. a picture of you and your buddies making your way up to the, where is that, the Metrodome? The Metrodome for the final time. Turn off the lights, 55 nothing. Sean Green running past the Gophers, and me and a group of my buddies, since it was the last time in the Dome, a, a place that Hayden had some... Uh, some horrors and also some great memories there. We decided we were all going to wear the white pants and the aviators. Nice. And we were going to dress up as Hayden with the mustache. And I think uh, in all, I think there was like 10 of us in that picture. I think there's seven of us uh, that are lined up there. Put that up on Twitter and Facebook last night. Hayden Fry, he was larger than life. Mm-hmm. He he was the embodiment to me of a legend. And I've had an opportunity to talk to you know people that I idolized growing up and having that. But Hayden... He was at a different level. I only had the chance to talk with him once on the radio years and years ago, but it's just one of those memories. He's one of those people that he was larger than life. He was he was big time, and, and he he galvanized the University of Iowa and the Hawkeye fan base in a way that really never been done before. Yeah, a lot of people say he saved the athletic program when yeah. uh, when he was hired at the uh, late 70s. Certainly turned that football program around, a program that was having, uh, well, limited success, is putting it kindly. 17 straight years without a winning season. Yeah, bowl game in uh, 58, and the next time they got back. Now, I get that there wasn't obviously the number right. of bowls then as there are today, uh, but uh, three Rose Bowls, sadly, none of them went in their favor, uh, but got his team to the uh, pinnacle at the time anyways of, for the Big Ten, and that was a Rose Bowl on three different occasions. All right, Chuck Hartley coming up momentarily. Any others before we get Chuck? Uh, when you think of him, I mean, you're a young kid, right? During, yeah. the, during the heydays. 
and we all have heroes when we're that age and certainly very impressionable. And I'm assuming he, you know, was one of those guys that left an impression on you. Oh, there's no doubt. And I remember because I loved sports and my job, I wanted to be Keith Murphy. That That's what, for me growing up, kind of was. And I remember watching the 6 o'clock, the 10 o'clock news, and they'd cut to the sports guy up in North Iowa and, well, Hayden's doing it again. And in those press conferences and those cuts on Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was, and he was going after a reporter. I mean, he was going yeah. after Mark Hansen. Right. A lot of times probably going after Mark Hansen. Or it'd be the complete opposite, and they'd be taking on an awful Northwestern team. You know, they got some guys on this team. we got to watch out this weekend. And your young, impress- impressionable mind, oh, Hawks might be in trouble this week. I mean, I, I know Northwestern's 1-7, but Hayden just said they're going to be good. And then they go out and beat them 63-3, and it, it's game over from there. But it, it was those moments, and that just, that rarefied air. The other thing I just loved is how he, the psychology of it from the pink locker rooms to the great quote to Bo Schembechler when he had his one of his guards snapping the ball before the game. Bo comes over to him and says, that guy's not going to be snapping for you today, is it? Well, Bo, we don't plan on punting, punting at all today. Right. And walks away from it. Just those kind of stories, the psychology. He was a character. Yep. And a character at a time that you needed those kind of characters. No doubt about it. Uh, and uh, what he brought to the to the Big Ten as far as opening up the offense as well, not lost on anybody. Uh, just after 11, we've got a piece. The Hawkeye football program put out a piece last night. We're going to play the audio of it. I, I think it's really worthy. I mean, there's McCarney, there's Snyder, there's Merton Hanks, there's Barry Alvarez uh, quoted in this. Cedric Shaw's part of it. You mentioned Bo Schembechler. He's in it. Uh, Chuck Long is in it. So we're going we're gonna to play that audio for you just after the 11 o'clock hour, but we're going to spend most of the day here today uh, reflecting on the legacy uh, that Coach Fry left behind. Let's get one of his former players in here, uh, Chuck Hartlieb. Uh, he joins the program. Uh, always great to Chuck uh, to speak with you, Chuck. Wish it was under better circumstances, but uh, uh, how are you this morning, Chuck Hartlieb? Well, I'm doing fine. You know, it's, it's a sad day yesterday, talking with a bunch of old teammates and thinking about things, but then on the other hand, uh, it's a happy, joyous day to me. Led a, led a great, great life, and I don't know many people, if, if anyone, that's touched more lives, yeah. especially on the football side or just in so many men across the country than, than Aiden Fry. So it's in a way, it's a, it's a day of celebration, too. Mm-hmm. He's just an unbelievable person. Yeah, you know what, Chuck, that's very well put. And, you know, when, when you th- are asked about Hayden Fry, Coach Fry, what he meant to you, what's the first thing that comes into your head? Oh, you know, everyone always wants to ask on the field stuff or play calls or games, et cetera. Ninety percent of things we talk about or think about is just things that happen off the field. He's he just taught you so many things about life and uh he's such a dynamic person. His his sense of humor, his leadership, his orneriness, um mm-hmm. he just was an amazing, amazing guy. He uh I, I, Mark Stoops and I were together about five years ago and he put it more eloquently than anybody else I've ever heard is you know, he, he shared that he'd been in front of staff meetings and player meetings for 30, 40 years. And still today, he didn't look forward to presentations or speeches more than Hayden Fry's talks. He never, ever didn't have your attention. He just was, I just wish everyone could have been around him more because he just was on every day, and he had just a great message day in and day out. Speaking of those messages, uh, an anecdote that I had never heard before was after practices, good, bad, indifferent, 
afterwards, he'd have a guy come up there, tell a story, tell a joke, things like that, and always keeping a light. And even after a bad practice, there was always going to be something at the end to look forward to. Take us back to, we remember the games, we remember what happened out there on the field, some of the great numbers that you put up, nearly 500 yards against Indiana in a game, but how about on the practice field, what he was like, the old Marine, Hayden Fry? You know, I, I wasn't much of a historian back then, but I, I kind of, re- if I ever played for Bear Bryant, this is what it be mm. like, because you feared him, um, you didn't want to let him down, you always knew where he was at on the practice field, all he'd have to do was just say a sentence to you, and it was the biggest part of your day. And so those sunglasses and his demeanor, just he had everybody's attention. And I'm telling you, he had all these great, great coaches' attention day in and day out. Now, they didn't always like it, but they feared him as well. And so, you know, it was just an amazing five years when you're walking around with this guy and you had an Alvarez and a McCartney and a Stoops yeah. and a Ferentz. And they all uh, were 110% aware they needed to keep Coach Fry happy. So, you know, I just showed you the power of leadership. And I learned so much over the years and then since about that psychology degree he had because one line might be a joke, uh, one line might be a criticism, one line might be the silliest thing you've ever heard. Um, but he just kept you on edge. And. No one was able to do it better than him. Chuck Hartley is our guest, part of the program from uh, 84 through 88. Uh, was there one locker room, Chuck, one winning locker room that um, that comes to mind maybe more than the others? I know the Hokey Pokey was done a bunch of times, but was there one game where you can remember the locker room and him in the locker room in particular more than the others? Well, you know, just off of what I just said prior is, the 87 Ohio State game in Columbus, I mean, I never, I shook his hand, but for him to grab me coming off the field, and there's TV footage of it, and hug me as hard as he could and just say, I love you, Charlie, um, that just, I'll never forget that. It was his own, his first win in Columbus, Ohio. It was the biggest deal to him, and, uh, you know, that, that just meant the world to me. I was like, holy cow, Coach Fry is hugging me. I mean, I, I was like... God was touching me because he never showed any kind of physical. Uh, 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 he never did anything like that. And so then going into the locker room and just his, he was just so ecstatic in Columbus that day. It was, I, I still remember like it was yesterday. You know, uh, take us back to 1983. I remember one of my good friends was recruited, recruited as a walk-on, but when Hayden was walking through the halls of Osage High School, it was such a big deal, and he had the cowboy boots on, and, and there's Hayden walking the halls at our high school. For you in 1983, a guy that was at this time really reinventing what Big Ten football was, and you as a quarterback, what it meant in the recruiting process for you? Well, yeah, I, I remember that well, too. I mean, we had a small living room and uh, hmm. coming in the front door, and it was him and Barry Alvarez twice. And, uh, you know, he just... A lot of those coaching conversations is kind of awkward and boring and vanilla because these guys have a hard time carrying on a conversation for a whole hour. But boy, he you know immediately started sweet talking my mom and um, you know just cracking jokes and having fun and you know, just trying to be silly and fun and just show that you know he's just a good old guy and you know he won my parents over immediately and you know then he started talking about family. He didn't really talk much about wins and losses. And, you know, what Iowa football was going to do on the field. It was always kind of a family conversation and that we'll take care of your kid and we'll make him become a man and 
people teach him this and touch teach him that and you know it, he wasn't lying. I mean, that, that's really what he was about. He was trying to always make us better people, and the game of football was only a part of that. You know, you mentioned that coaching tree and some of the names and, and some of the success that those guys have gone on to have. Could you tell Chuck that, I mean, you're, you're a college kid and you're worried about the playbook and you're worried about school and everything at the time, but could you tell that those guys that, you know, were assistants on that staff had an opportunity uh, to go on and have the success that they ultimately would? You know, um, you said we talked after practice. There's another thing that we did at the start of the season during double sessions is every night for about five straight nights, he asked, and it it went on for about an hour or two every night, is he asked players and coaches to get up in front of the team and share what it would take to win a championship. And all we did was talk winning a championship. And when Barry Alvarez and Dan McCarney got up there, it was just like a head coach. I mean, I knew Mac and Alvarez were, were just, unbelievable now i honestly coach Snyder, i lived with every day basically i never saw him as a head coach really? he just didn't they didn't you know Snyder was just a he was a behind the scenes admin serious um studious academic and he'd get up and talk for a couple minutes but i never saw that leadership out of him and you know bobby stoops kind of had it but alvarez mccarney i saw a miles away um, those guys you'd, you'd run through a wall for. So yes and no. Um, some guys you'd see, some guys you wouldn't. And you know, I, we think about Hayden Fry at this time. And you know, what, what if Fry doesn't hire McCarney mm-hmm. and goes a different direction, and McCarney never has a chance to turn Iowa State around? I mean, 20 great years of Cyclone football, McCarney is the guy that had the secret sauce to take Hawkeye football down and get uh, Iowa State football going. I mean, so think about the branches and the and the touches a guy like McCarney said. I mean, that guy was an absolute winner, too. Yeah, one one thing I wish he wouldn't have done is getting Alvarez out of Mason City because, well, that Wisconsin program wouldn't be what it's been the last 30 years. <laughs> hey, exactly, exactly. Chuck, uh, we were talking a little bit earlier from, from our side of things in the media. That I have these great memories of the press conferences and the clips that you get out of it. For you guys as players during that time, and would you read the newspapers? Would you hear the clips that would come out there? And would you know what Hayden was trying to do there, either getting you guys maybe your mind away from whatever topic it was that week when he went towards the media. Did that get back to you guys in the locker room? Yeah, yeah. You know, it was that was again part of the psychology, it was part of the fun, it was part of the distraction. You know, Mark Hansen and I got to be good friends while I was there and then afterwards and Mark would be a great guy. In fact, Mark and I were talking about doing a book with my brothers, etc., because there's so many stories. But basically on Tuesday press conferences he would do his press conference and do, you know, say things. And then the players would come in and talk to the reporters. And I inevitably would call Mark Hansen to a side and say, hey, did he say anything that I need to be aware of? Because <laughs> initially I would contradict what he'd say. I'd say, oh, you know, I'm fine, I'm ready to go, et cetera. And he'd say, oh, Hartley's touch and go. He may not even be able to make it down the plane. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a miracle if we get him on the field and, I was like, uh, I'm practicing today. I'm perfectly fine. I don't know what he's talking. And then I learned the lesson the hard way when my quote got in the paper the next day and Snyder pulled me in and said, hey, man, you can't contradict anything Coach Fry said in that press conference. I go, well, I don't even know what he was talking about. (laughs) Somebody's got to tell me what's going on. So I used to just pull Mark Hansen aside and say, hey, did he say anything crazy? Because, you know, he'd come up just spur of the moment with, you're right, 
he'd rip the press. We've got amongst us ex-players. We've got um, some of those old interviews, and we play them from time to time. That's I've great. got them on my phone. It just cracks us up some of the things he did, just to get a distraction, or just to get a laugh, or just to do something out of the ordinary because he wanted to keep everybody on edge. Hmm. Very timely. We've got Mark Hansen coming on at eleven thirty. I'll remind him of that here this morning when we there speak to him. Chuck Hartley is our guest. Chuck, a couple more minutes, we'll let you go. We appreciate uh, you coming on here today and sharing some of your memories. So, was he? What was practice like? Was was spring ball and then fall camp? What was the more strenuous of the two? As you think back, and football practice seemingly was tougher uh, back in and in, uh, in your era. Um, where was one more difficult than the other? Did he have his? I mean, did did he want to? Set a tone early in camp and then kind of ease off in you guys as you got closer to the season? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. I mean, spring ball was spring ball. With, you know, it's it's not that intense, but it's those first 10 days that kind of punch you in the mouth and get you going and, uh, you know, the competition and um, his intensity um, and then then peaking during the week of the, the first game. Yeah, all that stuff. That's um, it, it was it was pretty typical. Um, I, again, I think that his off the field stuff is what you write and do interviews and talk about, and and that's why all those other guys went on. Is he was so good off the field by detail, by the message, by keeping us on edge. I mean, he he. You know, we always joked, oh shoot, Coach Snyder just got fired or Ferns got fired because he he'd get pissed off and he wouldn't take it out on the players, but he he'd fire the coach and then have to come back and say, you weren't fired. I was joking. You know, he, he just was always keeping you on edge. I think the other thing I would say about practices that was amazing is he, I never heard him swear in five years, never heard him swear in five years. And hmm. he asked all of his coaches to not use profanity. And I'd say six of the eight listened pretty well, <laughs> Mac and, 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 uh, <laughs> Coach Ferentz, those guys were a little bit on the edge. but And he'd pull them aside and say, hey, we don't use that kind of language in this program. But, I mean, compared to what you see on the fields today, that guy wanted to get his message across with no profanity whatsoever. That, that just didn't happen. I mean, he just said, wait a second, that doesn't need to happen. We don't need to use those, that, that, those kind of words to get our message across. That's how unique he was. You know, my, my brothers were with him three or four years ago out in Mesquite, and he said it again to those guys. He said, I've never run across a player who made a mistake on purpose. Mm-hmm. And he specifically said, you know, I know Bo Pelini and Bo was crazy on the sidelines. He said, I called Bo and I told him exactly that is there's no reason to chew out a player for his mistakes. He's not doing it on purpose. Just get your message across and make them better. I mean, how deep is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bellini's got a short fuse, as we know. No doubt. (laughs) Hey, Chuck, one last final thing from me, and it deals with after the games and after a big victory, doing the hokey pokey. We see it today. Coach Ferentz uh, is singing the fight song afterwards, and you see the excitement. The hokey pokey, a little bit hokey out there, but there's nothing better. There were some videos last night of the big offensive linemen. They're all putting their foot in and pulling it out. (laughs) After a big victory, the hokey pokey, a little bit silly, but a whole lot of fun. Dead on, dead on. Just, again, him doing something different and trying to be not your typical program and just try to bring us all together, and that was his idea. And, uh, yeah, every single one was a blast, and you never got tired of doing it. And it was a Coach Fry, it was a Coach Fry, you know, same with his deal, from the pink locker rooms to that. So I could give you ten more. It's, uh, 
He was he was one in a million. Did you stick your head in a pink locker room ever? You and some of your teammates go down and check it out ever? Never been in there once. No kidding. Interesting. Last <laughs> thing for you, Chuck. Where where would um where would the Hawkeye football program be without Hayden Fry? I mean, it's, obviously it's been some time since, and Ferentz has done a great job. But but at the time, as you think back to what it was in the 70s, and I wish I would have been here to at least have a more knowledge of it, but what, where would Hawkeye football be if they didn't hire um, Hayden Fry? Yeah, that's scary. Scary. I mean, we tried so many guys, I mean, I think we probably would find one way or the other to get get it going just because the fan base is amazing and there was such support for the university. Somebody probably would have gotten it going, but you know, you can't underestimate the creativity and marketing ability of Fry. Mm-hmm. I mean, the white pants and sunglasses, the interviews, the tiger hawk, the pink, he knew he needed to bring attention to the program on a national scale. He was going to go back to Texas. He was going to go out to New Jersey. He recruited California. He needed to be different. And anybody can be different, but he hit some home runs with his marketing decisions. And, I mean, that's the piece that's just amazing. And, you know, he was 20 years ahead of his time. I told somebody in an interview last night that, you know, he'd probably be the king of social media these days. Is that right? He'd have figured out a way with texting and with Twitter to just be different. He would have been hilarious on social media, and I think he would have embraced it because hmm. here it was 1980, 40 years ago, and he was kind of doing that same type of marketing. He, he was being crazy in interviews, and he was telling us this and telling us that. You know, he was way out of the box, and he would have been way out of the box today. Hmm. Yeah, everybody credits him with selling a whole lot of tickets back in the day. Chuck, thank you for coming on, sharing uh, some of your memories as we celebrate. And I'm glad you put it that way because that's the way it should be. Just a remarkable life and an unbelievable legacy uh, in the state of Iowa. Chuck Hartley, thank you. Happy holidays to you and yours. Appreciate you coming on, Chuck, as always. Thanks for uh, supporting as much as you guys are, and uh, happy holidays to you, too. Good to talk to you. Chuck Hartley, uh, former quarterback for the Hawkeyes. Of course, his two big years, 87 and uh, 88. Do you remember the Hartley era? I do very well. Chuck Hartley, I remember uh, as an 8-year-old, maybe this is where my affinity for sports radio started, getting a big argument that Chuck Hartley was better than Chuck Long because he threw seven touchdowns in a game. <laughs> And he threw for almost 500 yards against Indiana. So Hartley was better than Long and getting an argument on the playground about that. So I remember it very, very well. Great times as a Hawkeye fan. And that run during that period. I saw Chad Leistigo had that number. And people think about how good was Fry? How good were those teams? How about this run from 81 to 88? Big 10 records. This isn't Patsy's here. 6-2 and two, Rose Bowl. 6-2 and two, Peach Bowl. 7-2 and two, Gator Bowl. 5-3-1 and one, Freedom Bowl. Seven and one Rose Bowl, back to back holidays at five and three and six and two, and then eighty eight the Peach Bowl four one and three. Mm. That is eight straight where he didn't lose. He only one time did he lose more than two games in the Big Ten. <laughs> yeah, that's saying something. Uh, interesting. Well, we've got some time. We're going to go to break. If there's uh, some folks out there that would like to share their memories of Coach Fry, we've got a slot coming up here on the other side of this break. We, we'd appreciate it if you called during the break so we can line you up at 284-5966, 284-5966. got to get out uh, to play Cappy's. Cappy's sponsored by Centurion Stone. But we've got a narrow window if you uh, for a couple of calls. If you'd like to chime in at 284-5966. We're going to talk to Mark Hansen. It's interesting that... That, uh, yeah. uh, that uh, Chuck Hartley brought him up there at the uh, uh, during our uh, chat with Chuck. We're here until noon. It's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Carousel.org.
Sports Radio in Iowa starts and ends right here. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Miller and Con in Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. We take you up until noon. Uh, David Kaplan in 15 minutes. Uh, we'll hear from Bill Bender from the Sporting News in about 45. And then uh, Mark Hansen, former longtime columnist for the Des Moines Register from 81 through... When did he leave? Uh, left the sports section around the turn of the century, I think. Well, regardless, we're in for Mark Hansen coming up in an hour from now. When you think of Coach Fry and all that uh, is attributed to him and he is responsible for, is there one that... Stands out above the others. I mean, the pink locker room, the Tiger Hawk. The coaching tree has to be, I mm-hmm. think, at that top of the list. And as it pertains to, you know, just uh, what he's meant for college football. Oklahoma's winning his coach, Bob Stoops. Yeah. Kansas State's winning his coach, Bill Snyder. Mm-hmm. Wisconsin's winning his coach, Barry Alvarez. Iowa State's winning his coach, <laughs> and Dan McCarney. Think about that. I mean, did. <laughs> It, it's absolutely incredible. Mark Stoops very well might be on yeah. his line of becoming Kentucky's all-time winning coach. He's certainly on a path towards it. Jim Levitt, would, yes. he made the South Florida program and has Trendy been a great coach out of a trailer when that program first was born. And and we're missing names, I think, on this list too. There are many others. You know, people will tell you that Bill Brazier, he if he wanted to, absolutely could have been. I mm-hmm. think uh, Don Patterson, Patterson over Western yep. Illinois, he's a game away from being the winningest coach in Leatherneck history. It just that tree is absolutely incredible. So uh, a couple of things for you. Just saw on Twitter our, our buddy, uh, was it Papa Star, mm-hmm. the uh, big gopher fan, Yep, that uh, we get into it during football season. Oh, no, him and I were on the same team yes, this year. Yes, yes. Uh, but me and him went back and forth yeah. with Phil Fleck a lot. Really, really enjoy the conversations with him. But his daughter lives in Iowa City, took a picture from her spot, which is literally where I tailgate. You saw the picture that I, I retweeted it from the Miller and Condon account. I don't follow it. <laughs> she, you don't follow it. Oh, that, there's a ringing endorsement right there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're right from our tailgate spot, and you see Kinnick Stadium, and up on the jumbotron they have a picture right now. Oh, nice, of Hayden Fry, nice up there. I uh, saw the statue, of course, of him over in Coralville. Trent, you won't be able there. to find a place on that base by the right. day's end. There I mean, is the no days of flowers. And uh, the hokey pokey though is something. As I was talking to Chuck, it's goofy, right? Mm-hmm. You, I mean, it was something goofy, but I remember. It would have been another game up in the Metrodome, as we talked about earlier. A lot of trips to the Dome for young Trent Condon. And it was after the 0-4 game when Greenway made the play to make the long field goal. So Marion Barber and... Uh, Eric Decker. The, uh, what was the other kid? Um, the Maroney. Maroney. Lawrence, Lawrence Maroney. Maroney. Those guys went off for like 300 yards rushing, but Iowa got the uh, win after a missed field goal after Greenway made a play late in that game. But we're walking through... The concourse, and it was a mix of Hawkeye and Gopher fans. We're seeing the hokey pokey. And we get every, every Hawkeye fan of the concourse walking. Chiming in. They're all doing the hokey pokey, too. It was absolutely incredible. A bunch of guys in their 20s sitting there doing the hokey pokey. It was, he was that kind of person, though. He, he, the things that he's done for this program, from the Tiger Hawk to the uniforms, and it is just layer after layer after layer. I have a high porch picnic. In the library, 
going to be picking that one up uh, here and giving that one another reread and going through some of the great stories of Hayden Fry. You know, when uh, when Chuck Hartley shared the stories about the, the cussing and the fact that... Yeah. He, and you take a look at that staff and that picture of that staff and you, you're you asked to pick out the two guys that to cross the or broke the uh, uh, Fry's rule about no cussing. Well, certainly the first guy you'd look at would be Dan McCarney. Yeah, that's not a surprise but to Kirk anybody. Ferrets was the other one? See, well, I, I've talked to former players of Kirk and they said... He'll let it fly. Yeah. He, because he is so mild-mannered overall when you see him in press conferences and very buttoned up, mm-hmm. you wouldn't anticipate that. Yeah, he lets it fly, certainly the language. And really when he's working with that offensive line, you hear those types of stories too. The coaching tree, it's a big part too. Mm-hmm. What the else passing you? game and the what, what he did for opening up the offense yes. in the Big Ten. Well, and breaking up the Big Two and the Little Eight. Sure. It's true. It was 13 straight mm-hmm. Think of that. 13 straight years. It was either Ohio State or Michigan. That was yeah. during the 10-year war with Bo against Woody. It was, many people believe, something he couldn't do. Do you remember the video? When, when Chuck mentioned the video of, of, uh, of Coach Fry hugging him as yes. they're coming out, I remember that. I'm, I'm glad Chuck brought that up, you that know, piece Mar- of video. Marv Cook wasn't in there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the dirty little secret. Right. If. if there was instant replay in 1987. I'm guessing you can go back and find a few of those over oh, the no years, doubt. Right? Well, the fifth down, Colorado, yeah, there's Nebraska. Another there's another look, big look at one. our friends, our friends in Ames for crying out loud. Yes, a Yelks kick was good. Yelks Seneca kick was, was in. Yes. Right. Oh, we can play this game right. all day long. So I want to get your perspective because you came to the state in the middle of it, right? Uh, 89. 89. Yep. So this is he was at that time. Had that program humming along. We just talked about that run from 81 to 89 and what they were. Your perception is kind of an outsider of Hayden Fry when you got here. Well, I'll just do it from a radio perspective because we started in 1996 and we could never get them on mm-hmm. for starters. And we and Kenny T tried all the time, but uh, the University of Iowa was not too receptive to this new thing in Des Moines. And why would we do want to do this? Um, I remember the 97 season seemed to be the of the the 98. It was inevitable and it was coming to an end, right? Mm-hmm. But it was the 97. I don't remember the 96 season. I remember that it was a Sun Bowl. Maybe I do remember a little bit. But the 97 season, there were the expectations for that team were so high. And I remember that that being a real disappointing season to the audience because we would take one call after another. And a lot of folks were, you know, not, um, it, it kind of reminded me of the end of the uh, Tom Davis uh, era there that you wanted to see it end differently, right? For all that they have done. Uh, but I, I remember, you know, like, we, seldom watched Iowa football. I mean, I saw the Houtland game. Mm-hmm. I remember the kick, watching it, but it's just a different world up right. there where I was from, and I'm disappointed that, you know, obviously, I'm glad I grew up where I did, but at the same time, there's things I would have liked to have been able to, um, you know, at least have a more clear memory of. You know, that 96 season, it culminated with the win against Washington in the Sun Bowl, mm-hmm. 96. Uh, uneven. They finished the year 9-3, and three, but lost the game Early in the season, they went down to Tulsa to take on Gus Farrat. Yes, I remember that. And Tulsa, yep. they went the day of the game. They right. didn't go Friday night. I they remember went that. Saturday and morning. And it was a huge talker oh, the next week. Yes. Because Hayden said it was a business trip. Right. Just like a business right. trip, we're going to go down there the day of, come mm-hmm. back the night after, and they lost. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that was a big talker, Trent. They came back. They beat a very good Penn State team that season. They did it in Beaver Stadium. That was a Tim Dwight punt return game. Lost the following week to Ohio State. Lost again a couple weeks later to Northwestern. Northwestern on their uh, run to the Rose Bowl. But good season. They finished it up. They beat Texas Tech. And then the following year, 97. 
Many people believe Hayden at that time was going to retire. That was a prevailing notion, but that group coming back with Tavian Banks and Tim Dwight and Matt Sherman and on and on and on talked him into coming back for another season because it was going to be a special one. They're a preseason ranked team. They go in to Columbus to the shoe. And Andy Katzenmoyer, after Tavian Banks had what seemed like about a thousand yards those first four games of the year, he shut him down in a big time way. Katzenmoyer felt like he was all over the place. They lost back to back games, but the biggest part they had Michigan beat. They were a better team that day than Michigan. By the way, that Michigan team won the national championship mm. in 1997. Lost the game late. Tavian Banks is running wide open. Matt Sherman missed him either after the game, depending on who you talk to, or the play before Matt Sherman broke his hand. And it, with, with, so it was one of the two. See, I don't remember that. It was either some people say he punched the wall. Uh-huh. Other people say he hit his hand on the helmet. I think it was maybe Jeremy Irons was the defensive player for Michigan, and that's why he wasn't able to make the throw to Tavian. Was he ever asked that the sideline? In, in oh, recent he was. Year, but in recent years? Um, I, I wonder what he would say today. Well, he's a St. answer. His mom was my German teacher. Is that right? My Deutsch is nicht so gut. So I, I asked Frau Sherman, of course, about this. She wouldn't tell me uh, the full story behind <laughs> it. You learned your, you, you studied hard. I have, yes. I, I, at Bratwurst Days in Stacyville, a small town up by St. Ansker, I talked to him, had a couple of beers. Never would give me the full story on right. that one. But he works up at the University of Minnesota, knows some friends of his friends. I still want to break that thing down. Maybe someday I'll be able to break that story, actually what happened there. But with his injury, they lost late to not very good Wisconsin team, not a very good Northwestern team. Two games they should have won. They didn't have a kicking game that year either. Culminating, they finish off the year, lose to Arizona State in the Sun Bowl. And then 98, my freshman year at the University of Iowa, not very good. A sad way. coming off. And, and that final loss to Minnesota, just absolutely devastating. Plus what Hayden was going through at that time. He was battling cancer. Mm-hmm. He was battling cancer at that time. A guy that just, ah, so, so many different angles. A sad day. You know, people talked about it in terms of like losing a grandparent, something like that. It was just so different for me because he's bigger than a grandparent to me. He was, he was Hayden Fry. One of a kind. We'll take a time out. We'll come back. We're going to uh, switch gears, but we'll get uh, more of these memories coming up here uh, in the 11 o'clock hour. David Kaplan brought to us by Centurion Stone of Iowa. We'll catch up with Cappy. Uh, look forward to doing that. we got some really, I think, a really good piece of audio that we're going to play at about, oh, just after 11 o'clock. Uh, some of the guys on that coaching tree, some of his former players. It's about six or seven minutes, but uh, I think it's very worthy uh, of, uh, of sharing that with you. And then in about 50 minutes from now, Mark Cam- Hanson, longtime columnist from the Des Moines Register. Uh, we will talk to Mark Hanson. Looking forward to that. As we take you until noon, Miller and Condon on Des Moines Sports Station. 14- Very for a limited time only. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. Uh, continuing on here, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. Uh, as we uh, head to Chicago, he's our buddy David Kaplan, sponsored by Centurion Stone of Iowa. It's a busy week for, well, a lot of major league teams, a lot of media in San Diego covering the event. Cappy's back. We'll do that. We'll do some Bears Centurion Stone sponsors. Cap, uh, Trent, and Ken, uh, compliments of the season. Cappy, how are you? 
I am very, very well. I hope you guys are also. Happy holidays. Indeed. Cap, I want to go back to last week. Uh, I was gone, and uh, I was envious Trent was getting uh, an opportunity to speak with you with so much going on uh, pursuant to the winter meetings. And, you know, really nothing as, as far as I could see until yesterday. We saw a minor signing, but there was a lot of speculation, a lot of rumors, a lot of guys maybe, you know, being shopped around. Did you get the sense that the Bryant uh, conversation about him, you know, being available and maybe teams kicking the tires with Theo. Was there something to that, Cappy? Yeah, I think there absolutely is. But until they are able to see closure on Josh Donaldson, why, if you're one of the teams that needs a third baseman, would you give up a haul? Yeah. And I had somebody from the Padres tell me in discussions with Theo on Wilson Contreras, his asking price with Jed, they said, Literally was absurd. Absurd. Now, I love that my GM is asking for absurd amounts of talent because he's giving up, you know, a really good player. But if you're the pick the team, Braves, Rangers, Nationals, Dodgers, Phillies, who are all looking for third basemen, if you're one of those teams, you go, well, I've got, you know, a pretty good system. I got some really good players at the top. Or I can just write a check to Josh Donaldson. Why don't I just do that? So they got to wait till that plays out. Cap, uh, as you look at Chris Bryant, the continued rumors that are out there, I know you're a betting man. What kind of odds would you put come April that Chris Bryant is in a Cubs uniform? Uh, I'm going to say it's 60-40 he is in mm-hmm. a Cubs uniform. Okay. Uh, because I think they're not going to... Trade him just to trade him. They're not. They're not going to go, all right, we'll take that package and let's do it. Simply because by doing that, that's becoming your legacy. You're trading a guy who is, I mean, on a Hall of Fame track, certainly, and you don't get back what you should get back. Yeah, I, I would be stunned if Theo just acquiesced just to move the money. So I don't see that happening. But I do think there is, you know, 40% a pretty good chance that he gets traded. Hmm. Cap, there's a piece this morning in the uh, Athletic, uh, and it pertains to uh, Nicholas Castellanos, who I think everybody would like to see back in a Cubs uniform. He was the uh, pickup uh, across major, the best pickup across Major League Baseball last year at the trade deadline. His impact uh, made a serious, serious difference in a positive way. Uh, he would like to come back by all accounts, but the money's going to be tough to fit. Cap, your thoughts on Castellanos? What has to be done, if any? Anything to bring him back into the fold other than obviously writing that big check. Does somebody have to go in order for him to get there? Yeah, they've got to move money, and they've got to move a lot of money. Look, they've lost from last year's team, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head, they have lost $14 million of Ben Zobris' money, $11 million of Brandon Morrow's money. Now, they had to buy him out for three, so that's eleven. And then they just gave him a million mm-hmm. two or whatever it is on a minor league deal. So leave that to the side. So you're saving eight million on Morrow, fourteen million on Ben Zobris, six and a half on Steve Ciszek, six million on Pedro Strope. So we've got fourteen and eight is twenty two, and twelve is thirty four. Twenty million on Cole Hamels is fifty four. Three million on Brian Dunsing falls off the books is fifty seven. Uh, Tony Barnett, Xavier, added up your north of $60 million. 
and they're still over the luxury tax. Mm. Right. They're still over. People are like, how can that be? Well, Chris Bryant's going to go from 10 to 18. Javi's going to go from like 5 to almost 10. Wilson Contreras is going to go from making very little money, major league standards, of course, uh, to over $5 million. Schwarber's going to get to over $8 million. You start building all that in. Rizzo gets a raise when they picked up his option. You start adding all that money up, and you go, holy smokes, I can't believe it. And so they're not going to have a $250 million payroll. It's just not going to happen. So that's why they weren't in play on any of these free agents, and that's why to this point they're not in play on Nicholas Castellanos. Now, I like him. He's a very good player. But he had an amazing second half of the season. So am I supposed to give him, based on that second half of the season, five years at $100 million or thereabouts? I'm not convinced I would do that even if I had the money. One more for you on the Cubs front from me, and it deals with the rotation. We know what the front end, the top four is going to be, Darvish, Hendricks, Lester, and Quintana. But that fifth spot, a couple of different directions. How real of a chance do you give Tyler Chatwood of going out there and getting an opportunity in the final year of his three-year deal? Or do you think it's going to be as simple as, as long as Alzali is ready, he's going to be the guy mm. in the fifth spot? Uh, I think they're going to give both those guys a chance to go to camp and compete as a starter. Look, I'm not a huge Tyler Chatwood guy as a starter. If you're putting yeah. him in your rotation, then you're basically saying, well, we have the money's a sunk cost, so let's just do that. I I wouldn't. I would not. Um, I'd leave him in the bullpen. I'd write it off to a bad signing, and if he becomes a really impactful bullpen piece, I can make that decision a year from now. Do I want to bring him back? But would I walk into a team that, by their own account, Theo said this at the meetings. I was in his suite when he said it. Hey, look, we still think we have a good enough team to win with. Okay, then Tyler Chatwood doesn't belong in your rotation. Hmm. You're truly trying to win. Tyler Chatwood does not. He may end up getting pressed into your rotation later in the summer due to injury or poor performance, but you can't tell me you're starting a season where you, by your own words, are saying, I think we can win with this team. we got a lot of talent. They do have talent, but that's not who would be in my rotation. Hmm. One more on the uh, Cubs, and we'll get a couple in the Bears. We'll let you go, Cappy. I know you did a podcast. Uh, David Ross wants to, uh, what he wants to bring to the clubhouse. What does he want to bring to the clubhouse, Cappy? And, and what's the chances that he succeeds uh, in his mission here to change things up? Uh, I think he will succeed in having a good culture because David's a really good guy, and David works hard, and he said that will be the easiest part of the whole deal. He was mystified how people could think that he's friends with Rizzo and you know Lester and all these other guys, and so that's going to affect how he does his job in terms of disciplining these guys. I don't think that's going to be a big problem. I just don't think he has a very good team. I don't. I don't think they have as much talent as people think they do. I think Theo wants you to think that, and he should. He's trying to trade these guys. But, look, in two, two years ago, I remember going on your show a day or two after Theo spoke and said our offense broke. Yeah, your offense did break, and he did exactly nothing to fix it. And now we're surprised in 2019 when the offense didn't perform at the level they thought it could perform at again. And now I have to listen to Theo with his commentary of this year 81 minutes, he meets the media, 82 minutes, and he said, yeah, now impactful change, blah, blah, blah. 
I haven't seen anything yet. So show me, don't tell me. Cap on the heels of getting swept again by the Packers in a season series. You have this week out of the playoff hunt with Kansas City coming to town and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, remembrance of the 2017 draft and what could have been at the quarterback position. How difficult has it been around Bourbon A and, and the team? You can tell this week with all the questions about Patrick Mahomes and instead of going with Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, you know what? People are kind of numb to it already. Mm. It's just, it is what it is. And so we're they're done talking about it. It'll come up again, especially if Mahomes goes off. You know, I think the greatest thing would be if Mahomes plays poorly and they are able to go out the Bears and play really, really good football. Mitchell has a good day. It'll quiet people for a while, but this topic is never going away. Right. It's not. It is what it is. They would love a do-over in the draft. It didn't work out, so now they just got to develop Mitch the best they can because he is going to be their quarterback next season. Cap, uh, not a lot of uh, Bears fans thought that this team would be eliminated uh, after at the conclusion of Week 15, and yet, yet, yet here we are. Um, how big of a disappointment? I mean, in in the scheme of things, there's been a lot of years where the Bears have disappointment, but this year they seemingly went into the season with a great deal of hope based on the previous year. That's this has to rank up there amongst the most disappointing seasons uh, for the uh, Bears fan base. I would think. Oh, it's absolutely one of the most disappointing seasons in the history of the franchise because, you know, prior to last year, they were coming off 5-11, and 11, so why should we believe that they were going to be that good? They won 12 games. It was out of nowhere. We had a great time talking about it and enjoying it, all of that. But this year, you rolled in with a level of expectation mm-hmm. and – Boy, that offense was inept at times. Mitch struggled at times. You know, I just hope going forward that they add a tight end. They upgrade the offensive line. Uh, they get a solid backup quarterback who's more than a glorified assistant coach. And let's see where this whole thing goes. But right now, yeah, this is one of the most disappointing seasons that I could. The last one I remember be this disappointing was the year after the Super Bowl when they lost in the first round of the playoffs mm-hmm. to the Washington Redskins despite going 14-2. and two. Cap, uh, final thing for you here in the state of Iowa. Heavy hearts around the state with the passing of Hayden Fry at 90 years old. You're a, a guy that certainly grew up in that era. You were in the college game, though, on the basketball side during the 80s. Any Hayden Fry memories from you? Yeah, I just remember going. I was recruiting in Iowa, and I went to a game at Carver Hawkeye, he was still the football coach, and that guy, like, I saw him at the basketball game, and I went, oh my god, that's Hayden Fry. Like, he was, you know, there's there's coaches and then there's coaches. Hayden Fry was big time. He was just, he was the man, and so for this young assistant basketball coach at Northern Illinois University to walk into the arena there and go, oh my god, that's Hayden Fry. That was that was a big deal for me. So God bless him and best to his family, our deepest sympathies. I didn't get to know him, but that guy was a great, great coach. Uh, David Kaplan joining us, Centurion Stone Sponsors. Cappy, we will uh, talk to you the uh, day after Christmas. Thank you, and uh, uh, happy holidays to you and yours. And we'll uh, talk to you next week, Cap. Thank you. 
You got it. Happy holidays to you, all your listeners, and I love talking with you guys each and every week. As uh, we do as well. Take care, pal. Uh, David Kaplan, Centurion Stone of Iowa, makes it possible for us to speak with Cappy on a uh, weekly basis. We're certainly grateful to them for that. Uh, Centurion Stone of Iowa. Midwest's largest Centurion stone dealer. If you're in the market for manufactured or natural stone to accent or update your exterior or interior project of any size, Centurion Stone of Iowa offers a variety of patterns, styles, and colors for your every need. How many of them? Well, how about over 200 of them? Where can you see them? Glad you asked. 5525 Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines. Or you can go to the website centurionstoneofiowa.com, centurionstoneofiowa.com. 11 o'clock hours come. Coming up next, looking forward to our, well, I'm looking forward to the hour, uh, but we're going to catch up with Mark Hansen, former longtime columnist uh, from the uh, Des Moines Register. He's going to join us at about 1130 as he will share his memories of Coach Fry. He covered those Hawkeye teams um, from the beginning of the 80s uh, right up through the end of, uh, of Coach Fry's coaching tenure at the University of Iowa. Mark Hansen coming up at 1130. Miller in Condon till noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 14. 